RadioInfluence.com. Hey gang, welcome to another edition of the Real Animals Podcast. Real Animals Podcast is presented by Contender Boats. Uh, my guest today is a, a friend of mine who uh, grew up here in the Bay Area and uh, managed to win several World Series titles, a gold medal, um, lots of great things, a three-time All-American here at the University of Tampa. He is uh, my good friend, Tino Martinez. Tino, how are you today, buddy? Good, Mike. How you doing? Everything good? I'm good, man. You know, it's a little bit crazy, the world we're living in, but uh, hopefully we'll get on the other side of this and things will get back to normal here. We just get everybody to kind of stay at home through the process and <laughs> relax a little yeah. bit. Um, it'll all be good. Yeah, it's been, it's been crazy on my end, too. I, I told you a, little, uh, a while back there that you know spring training got shut down early, so that um, really took a lot of my work out of me as well. And, um, and and I've been at home as well a lot, pretty much, too, just trying to stay at home as much as I can. And as tough as it is at times, you know, you want to get out of the house and, you know, fortunately I can play golf here or there. But even when I do go play golf, we abide by the rules. You know, we don't touch the caddies. We don't touch anybody. We have to stay away from the guys and try to make it as a – you know, proper as we can to like not pass the thing along and keep it, you know, try to finish the thing off and get it, get going moving forward. Yeah. I don't know any other way to attack it. We're doing the same thing on the boat. You know, we do a try to, it's almost impossible to do a six foot rule. But what I try to tell people, you know, my boat's 25 foot. So I tell my customers when they get on the boat, you guys are up front. I'm in the back. I'll hand you baits. <laughs> you can point your rod tip at me. You guys stay up there. I'll stay back here. And, and that way we're playing, you know, basically by the rules. So, um, you know, it's an interesting time, but, uh, I'm, I'm, I really appreciate you giving us some time. You know, I think if you and I are going to talk here, you know, we have to start with, you know, you being a Tampa guy and, and growing up here in the Bay area, you know, this is really known as such a great hotbed for baseball. Um, and I think it was probably, you know, your, your time frame as you were coming through the high school ranks here when, and, and, you know, the whole group of you kind of put Tampa baseball on the map, you know, um, talk me through that a little bit. What, what kind of experience was that growing up? Yeah, no, it was a great experience here. I, I grew up in West Tampa uh, and played baseball at West Tampa Little League uh, from, you know, eight years old all the way to like about 13 or 14 before high school. And uh, a lot of guys had gone through West Tampa, a lot of great programs there. And, uh, Fred McGriff played there uh, about three or four years ahead of me. Uh, Luis Gonzalez played there. And baseball is the thing. Growing up in Tampa, you, we did we played baseball. We didn't have to play a whole lot of soccer back then. There was no lacrosse. Um, you know, basketball was the other sport in, in, in another season. But everybody in Tampa loved baseball growing up. So I played uh, all through the Little League. And then in, in high school, um, uh, I went to Tampa Catholic, Catholic for two years and, and, and played well there and won a state title and all that. But – before us, before us, Wade Boggs about Wade Boggs probably about eight years older than I was, and uh, he was one of the first guys to get up there to the big leagues that, that we kind of knew locally. And then right after him was Fred McGriff and Dwight Gooden, um, Floyd Yeomans, and then Gary Sheffield, um, on and on and on. And, you know, it was uh, one of those things where we always felt like if you're a good player and you worked hard, you know, we knew we had a chance because we see the guys who grew up here in Tampa uh, go up there and succeed. And I remember a lot of times when I was in high school, 
uh, just my senior year, Fred McGriff was already in the big leagues with the Toronto Blue Jays, and uh, his career is on on his way. And, and he would always come back and work out with us, and, and uh, you know, hit batting practice with us at our high school field. You know, field ground balls with me and do different things. Just talk to me about you know what it takes to to get through the minor league systems and make it as a professional. So uh, it was awesome growing up here in Tampa and you know trying to make a name for yourself and try to you know, be one of the guys who was able to get to the big leagues. And unfortunately, it worked out. Yeah, no doubt. So obviously, you you had a great high school career here, state championships, all that stuff, and then you decided to play at UT. I got to believe if you're winning state titles and as highly sought after a prospect as you already were, there was probably other collegiate opportunities for you. Why did you choose to stay here at UT? Yeah, well, for, first of all, um, you know, my parents were all about education. And, and after my senior year uh, at Jefferson High School, I got drafted in the third round by the Boston Red Sox. And I really wanted to turn professional and start my career um, but my parents were totally against it and they just forced me to go to college. And basically I had some offers from, from different schools, the university of Florida, you know, Florida state, Oklahoma, all, all these different schools. And all the coaches would say was, you know, we have a guy ahead of you. You'll probably start your sophomore year, your junior year and whatnot. And I didn't feel like those schools, I'd have an opportunity to start right away, uh, no matter what I did. So at the university of Tampa, you know, they, they told me if you, if you play well enough in the fall, you'll have a starting job uh, when, you know, in the spring. So in the fall, I went, I went to the University of Tampa, and I thought that was a big difference in, in my career where I didn't have to sit out a year or wait a year to start in front of another guy and, and all that. So I was able to play my first year, second year, third year, and, um, and, and they obviously gave me a full scholarship where my parents didn't have to pay anything at all, whereas most of the other schools and, and, and baseball programs, as it is today, they give partial scholarships because they only have around, you know, 10 scholarships. You got to divide them up among the players. And you right. know, my parents really couldn't afford to pay the other half. So the University of Tampa was a great opportunity for me. I played all three years there. And, uh, you know, I got drafted after that. It was, it was a great experience. I guess so. I mean, and you must have played rather well because you were a three-time All-American at UT, which is, uh, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, it, it was great. I mean, I had a great group of guys there. My brother was a pretty good player. He was a year ahead of me. And he was already there, and a bunch of guys I played uh, high school ball with were over there, so we knew we'd have a good team. And um, we were the first, actually, the first team from the University of Tampa to ever make to ever make it to the uh, Division Two College World Series. And oh, nice. uh, we kind of we kind of put that program on the map, I guess, so to speak, back then in um, 1986, I think it was. Um, and uh, we, we we did really well. Then the next year, we went to the World Series again, back to back times, and we lost uh, in the championship game that year. But um, yeah, I know I played. I mean, I think we had a good team. Um, um, you know, I, I, was, I played really well, and, and basically I, I just loved the, the whole thing, the whole experience about being in college. And, you know, getting education on top of that helped uh, in case my career uh, went sideways. But, um, you know, fortunately, <laughs> like I said, we, uh, it was a great experience. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Well, I think uh, I commend your parents for that, you know, because I think, uh, I think that education – is important obviously it all worked out for you and it didn't slow down your professional career any um but uh you know everything happens for a reason so it probably uh, just made you that much better and that that much more ready when you finally got to the bigs let's talk about and i didn't know this i, I always do some homework on my guests for the podcast um and i don't know why i didn't know it but i i didn't know that you were a member of the 1988 
summer Olympic team in Seoul, South Korea that won the gold. Tell me about that. I, it, to me, as an, as an athlete growing up, you know, uh, playing and representing your country to me would be one of the greatest things ever. So talk me through that a little bit. Yeah. Well, so, um, uh, and, and in the summer times of your college seasons, uh, after my freshman year, I played in Cape Cod. Cape Cod is a summer league where a lot of scouts come to watch the players play. And it's a wooden bat league, so they get the chance to see how you handle the wooden bat. And I did that after my freshman year. And then my sophomore year in 1987 um, was the Pan Am Games, the Pan American Games, which is the year before the Olympics. And Ron Frazier, who was the head coach at the University of Miami at the time, uh, we had played against them at the University of Tampa. We went down to Miami, and you know, I played really well, and we beat them a couple games here and there. Uh, he invited me to the tryouts, so I tried out for that team in 1987, and I made that team, and uh, we had a great group of guys. We had guys like Frank Thomas and Jim Abbott, Robin Ventura, uh, Ben McDonald. We had, we had a pretty good, pretty good team, and um, we played real well that year. We went to Cuba for a seven-game series down there to play the Cuban national team. Uh, we traveled to Japan and whatnot. Eventually, we went to the Pan Am Games in, in Indianapolis, and we uh, we lost the gold medal game to Cuba and came in second. So most of the guys on that team decided um, the next year after our junior years, most of us were junior sophomores at the time, our junior years, we wanted to come back and go to the Olympics and try to win that, win the gold medal. So uh, we, we all of us had gotten drafted that June um, after our junior year, and um, the teams we played for allowed us to play on the Olympics uh, that summer. So we uh, again we tried out for the Olympic team. Most of us from the team before we made it anyway, and we traveled all over the country. We went to uh, Japan twice for tournaments there. Um, we went to Italy, played the World Championships there. We were there for about a month. We um, we played all over the United States before the Olympics even started. And then by the time we got to Seoul, Korea, um, you know, we had been, we had been playing really well. And, um, uh, but just to get there and, and, and go to the opening ceremonies, all those other athletes there, you know, the basketball players, tennis players, uh, the track stars, the gymnastic people, it was, uh, uh, an amazing experience to be around those people and to be in the Olympic village where, you know, we, like big dorms, like big college dorms, basically, and every, all the athletes have their own dorms, kind of, and you get to meet so many different people throughout the days, and, and then you go out and play your games, you go to practice and all that, but it was a really cool experience. Yeah, I'll bet. That, to me, when I saw that, when I was looking you up there, I was like, wow, I didn't know that. What a cool... Uh what a cool yeah. thing. And all those, all those great names you throw out there, you know, Frank Thomas and Jim Abbott. And I mean, just some, yeah. some great names, you know, you and I are the, are the same age. So a lot of those, uh, a lot of those names were, you know, guys I watched all the time. So it's, it's, uh, yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty, that pretty was cool awesome. stuff. Experience. Yeah. So you were drafted in the first round in 88 by the Mariners. Did, how did you feel about that going to Seattle, leaving Tampa, sunny Tampa, Florida? Going, to, yeah. did it did it did it matter going up there to the you know. the clouds? Right? <laughs> that, you know, that's, that's a great question. Um, so back then it was like it is today, where the guys you know watch TV and on ESPN you get drafted, you see it on TV. They just you just sit by a phone and they just call you whenever they call you. And before the draft, you know, I guess you know throughout my my junior year in college, every team comes and gives you a workout. And it was like the Cincinnati Reds, the Cubs, the the Yankees, all these teams came. I never heard anything from the Seattle Mariners. Um, they had the 14th pick in the draft in the first round, so I didn't, I didn't even know. You know, I didn't, know, I didn't even know who played for Seattle at that time, to be honest. I'm, not, I'm serious. <laughs> I did not know anybody. I think Ken Griffey Jr. may have just gotten there to the big leagues that, that earlier that year, the, the year before maybe. But that's 
the only guy that I really knew that, that might've played on that team. And when the phone rang, you know, I just, hello. And it was the Seattle Mariners. I'm like going, wow. This so I'm talking to this guy, <laughs> the GM going, not, and my parents and everybody's around my brothers and everybody's hanging out of the room. And I'm going, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going, wow. And in my mind, I'm going, yeah, thank you for the opportunity. I'm very excited, blah, blah, blah. And I got off the phone and I said, Seattle Mariners. They're like, whoo? I said, the Seattle Mariners. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I didn't even know. I knew it was out there in Washington and all that. I didn't know. I knew they were a bad team, but I didn't know anybody who played on the team because, you know, back then, obviously, we're the same age. The games weren't on TV all the time. We got a game of the week right. on Saturday, maybe the Cubs game because of WGN. But, um, yeah, that was a, bit, a really a life-changing experience because sunny Florida, <laughs> and you really go to Seattle, you go there, and it's, it, it is what it is, a beautiful city. But April and May and June, the first three months of the season, it's gloomy and rainy every single day until July. And then when July comes, the sun comes out, and it's the most beautiful place in the world. Uh, you know, we play, the, and we play the Old Kingdom there, which is not a very good place to play. And uh, it, it took some getting used to, but... You know, as a young player, you're excited to be in the big leagues and you just focus and work hard every day and just try to, you know, take care of yourself and, and make yourself a better player and, and not really, you know, get distracted by what's going on outside of that. Did you spend, did you end up spending any time, how much time did you spend in the minors? I went, uh, I spent two years in the minors. I went, I went to double A my first year, which is the Williamsport, Pennsylvania. And then my okay. next year I went to um, Calgary, Alberta, Calgary, Canada, which is our triple A team. And I played half the year there and got called up. Then I went back to AAA again, got played half the year and got called up. And, and that was it. And I was up ever since. Oh, nice. And you were yeah. a regular. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So now tell me, tell me what it's like, because again, growing up um, in the era that I grew up, I, it is, I, it, you know, the New York Yankees were, I mean, they're the Yankees. So yeah. what was it like when, when you ended up getting an opportunity to play for the Yankees? Wow, that was the uh, same, same with me. I, I love the Yankees growing up as well. And, um, uh, well, well, well I, had, I had a great time playing in Seattle, first of all. We played there four or five years. And um, we actually won the division our last year in Seattle, which was 1995. And we beat the Yankees that year in the playoffs, and we lost to the Indians to the World Series. And after that season, I thought, you know, I hit 30 home runs that year, and I hit the ball, you know, I really came around and, hit, you know, hit about 290. Um, and I thought, man, I'm going to be a Seattle Mariner for life, and we're going to have a really good team here. And that was after my third or four, my fourth year of the big leagues. And, um, and then that offseason, I got home, and, uh, you know, I read the newspaper one day here, and I saw, you know, Tino Martinez and so and so, three different guys on the trading block might get traded from the Mariners. I'm like, man, I'm getting traded? And um, Lou Pinella was our manager back then in Seattle, and he um, – lives here in Tampa. So I ran across him one day and I said, Lou, am I getting traded? And he says, yeah, we can't, we can't afford to take you to arbitration again. And, uh, they want to cut salaries because, you know, Griffey and, B uh, Ken Griffey Jr. And Jay Buhner and Randy Johnson all have big contracts and they can't afford to give anybody else contracts. And I'm like, Oh man. So he said, well, where would you, what, where do you want to go? And the choices were, that wasn't my choice though, but the people who were interested were the Yankees, the Cubs and the San Diego Padres. And I said, well, Lou, I'd love to go play for the Yankees. Uh, you know, they have a great team, and I love hitting in the Yankee Stadium. And that would have been 96, the first year of a legend field, which is called Steinbrenner Field now here in Tampa, where the spring training's at. And uh, yeah. sure enough, Lou went out and made that happen. And, um, you know, when I first got traded, I was so excited because, you know, I've always wanted to be a Yankee, and playing in Yankee Stadium is like the greatest experience you could ever imagine as a professional baseball player. And I think everybody who 
plays the big leagues, would have loved to play for the Yankees at one time or another, just to get that experience, because they've all experienced it from a, as a visiting player, like I did, but to play there as a home player is a whole different game. Yeah, I would think putting on the pinstripes would be would be pretty cool. That would be a cool. Yeah, it's really uh, cool. It really is. Yeah, yeah, that would be a cool experience. I used to play a game with um, all of my customers on the boat. You know, when, when you're when you're fishing, the fish aren't always biting. So, to entertain my customers every now and then, I would I would ask them. I would say, if you could have any sports card, any business card from the world of sports. What would it be? Who would it be? You know, like your Tiger Woods or, you know, Pete Sampras or whoever, you know, who would, who would your guy be? You know, and you get all kinds of different answers, you know, quarterbacks and whatever. And I always said, I'd want to be Derek Jeter. And they were like, <laughs> Derek Jeter. I'm like, dude, the dude is single at the time he was single. Yeah. Single. yeah. He's the captain. <clears throat> And the shortstop for the New York Yankees, for God's sakes. And and I'm a big basketball guy. Basketball is always my favorite sport. At 6'5", yeah. it was the sport I was best at. Didn't play a lot of baseball, but I'm a huge baseball fan. And it it's just he's the captain and the shortstop for the New York Yankees. And he's single in New York City. I, I don't know how this could be a bad deal. <laughs> you know, and people would people would look at me and go, All right, yeah, you're right, I get it. I mean, it's, you know, and, and the big part of that was he's the captain of the New York Yankees. I mean, what a cool, yeah. uh, yeah, what a cool gig. I mean, what a cool calling card that would be, you know, Hey, do you know well, who I am? I'm the captain. Of the Yankees. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I think a lot yeah. of people would have answered that question just like you did. Cause I mean, he, he was single and he was, uh, you know, obviously a good looking guy and captain of the team and, and obviously a great player. You know, he was so player, clutch yeah. from his first year on, and, uh, with just uh, his rookie of the year, the first year and all the championships and, uh, but just a great, a great guy off the field and, and a clutch player. So, he knew how to do it. He, he handled himself so well on and off the field and, uh, and made a great name for himself, obviously. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So I understand. I totally get it. Now, you know, we, we, we can't touch on on the Yankee deal for you and, and not talking about – winning a world series every kid myself included you know i played some baseball growing up i wasn't very good at it um but every every young kid who likes baseball loves baseball thinks about baseball thinks about winning a world series championship what was that moment when you won the first one what was that moment like oh the the, the greatest moment obviously of, of my life at that point uh, like you said, you, you first want to make it to the big leagues, get to the big leagues, and then you want to stay there and make an all-star team and hope you have a chance to win the World Series. But to have that chance with the New York Yankees to play in the first World Series in 96 and win it was uh, you know, the, the greatest experience I, I, you could ever imagine. Like in your backyard, you think of all those, all those scenarios. You're, you're playing Game 7 of the World Series or whatever it is. To be there and, and get you know the introductions for Game 1, and you start realizing, wow, I'm, after all those years, you think about that kind of stuff. <laughs> here I am in the World Series. That, you really you start feeling that way. Like, wow, this is the World Series. It's awesome. You know, this place is packed. There's, you know, all this bunting all over the stadium and, you know, and all that. And it was crazy. Then to win it in New York City, um, well, we did. We, won, we beat the Braves in 96 in, in Yankee Stadium. And that night we were, you know, the streets were flooded with people everywhere, all over the place. And uh, the parade about three or four days later was probably, I think there was like two or three million people flooding the streets of, the, of Manhattan all up and down, That's which is a great experience as well. But <laughs> there was nothing nothing like it. It was the most uh, greatest experience I've ever had. 
Yeah, I, I can't even imagine. I, I think that to me it sounds like so much fun. Now, you won four World Series titles. That's right, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay, so which one is there? One of them that stands out being more meaningful well, than the others? You know, the first one, the, the first one, ninety six was, was our, our all of our first. You know, Derek Jeter's a rookie. Joe Torre was our manager. He had never even been to the World Series all his years in the game. Um, all the guys on the team was all of our first time in the World Series and winning that one. So that one was very special. And then you just think, you know, well, is it ever going to happen again? And we lost in 97 to the Indians, and we had a really good team that year. And that was a disappointment because we thought we were better in 97 than we were in 96. And then to go back in 98, 99, and 2000 and win back-to-back-to-back was, I mean, it just became a theme where is this really happening? You know, this is our fourth <laughs> World Series. We won, you know, it was, it's been, it was an incredible feeling. We won, you know, four out of five. At that, I mean, three out of four at that point, four out of five. And, um uh, they were all, each one got better and better. 96 was great. The 98, we had, we broke the record that year for 114 wins. And we had a great season. That, that was a great experience. Then in 99, uh, we beat the Braves again. Um, and then in 2000, we played the Mets. So the Yankees Mets world series in 2000 was probably uh, the greatest experience as far as like being in New York city at that time. I mean, you know, you have to go to lunch every day or whatever it is a breakfast or, Whatever, there's Yankees and Mets fans all over town buzzing for the you know the, the next game, game one, two, and three. So those two stadiums were, were as loud and as intense as possibly for uh, any kind of games at all. Well, I'll bet. That sounds like a very cool deal. Well, congratulations on just an incredible career, my friend. You just, you know, you've been blessed. You, uh, yeah, no, I've been you, lucky. You took Thank all, you. Well, I, I you know, my father used to say luck is just where preparation and opportunity meet, you know, the opportunity <laughs> yeah. came, you were, pre- you were prepared for it. And, uh, you know, you, you've, uh, certainly had a, a fantastic career. Now you love to fish, which, uh, yeah. I don't know that everybody knew. Where did that come from? When did, when did, uh, you know, did it happen growing up when you were young here in Tampa or is it something that you kind of got to do more the older you got? No, it started when I was young in Tampa. My dad, I have two brothers. One, one brother is a year and a half older, and my younger brother is two years younger. And uh, it's basically the wintertime, we used to go just trout fishing in the bay, in Tampa Bay. And my dad always had a fishing boat, and we'd go almost every Saturday morning uh, from, like, you know, November, December, October, November, December. Um, and we'd get up early in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning, and get up, go get on the boat, and just try to just go trout fishing. And it wasn't like fishing with you, where you know, you know what you were doing and where to go. The fish were there fighting. My dad, my dad was like, he just, he just liked getting us together, the, the, the three boys uh, and, my, and my grandfather. He took my grandfather as well. And he just liked getting us all together and being together for a period of time on the water and, you know, just hanging out away from the, you know, everybody else around town. And, but he just would sit there. We'd sit there for, for 30, 40 minutes not catching anything. I'm like, can we move? Can we move, you know. And it's, you know, finally we started catching fish here and there. It was mainly trout and stuff. And uh, we did it so much uh, as kids. And then when I got in high school, um, in the off season of baseball, like when, and in the fall, you know, a bunch of my guys on my team loved to fish too. We just go down to um, nobody had a boat back then because we were, you know, we were just in high school. And we'd go down to Davis Island and then fish off the 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 the, 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 the docks out there, the uh, the fishing wall, the seawall. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just little rods out there. We go at nighttime sometimes too and catch fish. We just we just loved it. It was just kind of a, a cool experience, and another beach being on the water. Yeah, I, I agree with you. There's no doubt about that. It's a it's a happy place. So you know, in all your travels, um, 
Is there a place that, uh, that you love to go fishing now? Is there something that you do, uh, regular, um, you know, is there any place you've been fishing that you can't wait to get back to? Well, yeah, I, I love fishing at the Keys. Um, uh, last, uh, we talked about it last last year when when you hooked it with your great rods, the real animal rods that uh, <laughs> I love to death uh, were great. We went to um, Isla Morada and we fished um, um, all over Isla Morada for a week there. My brothers and I, had a couple friends, and uh, we went to the Everglades, which I'd never been to before ever, which was a great experience. I yeah, had no idea cool how cool that place is at all. I had no idea, and to be fishing there. Uh, and you, and the crocodiles, you see the crocodiles, it's just, it's just like you can imagine, obviously, you know, uh, on TV and, and, um, and, and it could be like one guy over here hooks a tarpon. Then the guy over here catches a, a grouper or a snapper. Uh, you don't know what you're going to catch or what's underwater at all. Cause it's kind of murky, but that was a great experience. I'd love to do that again for sure. But, uh, Island model is great. Obviously the keys and key West, I love fishing there. Um, you know, I fished off the, uh, off of uh, West Palm beach out that way for sailfish, which is a cool experience as well. But, uh, anywhere, I, I would definitely say I would go back to anywhere in the Keys. I'd go. I love that the best. So, do you like? Are you more of an offshore guy, or are you more of a backcountry guy? Do you think? Well, I, I think I'm more of a backcountry guy because I, I kind of can get there and do that ourselves. I don't know much about you know offshore too much. I have to go with a guy like yourself or a guide who uh, can prepare all that stuff. I don't really know how to catch a sailfish and that kind of thing, but I love doing that. But I, I'm more of uh, probably a backcountry uh, fisherman. Yeah, at least it's, it sounds like you just love fishing. <laughs> I do. I do. I love, being in the, I love being in the water, too. Um, you know, there are times I went out with um, Lou Pinnell. Lou Pinnell is a big fisherman. Big fisherman, yeah, for sure. Huge. And, he, and he's got a captain as well. We went out uh, last last fall, and it was myself and about five or six of the guys and his captain. And we're out there on this beautiful boat he had, like a 40-foot, uh, probably a, I think it was a contender, maybe, or a yep. intrepid. And... Um, and we're just, and it's just one of those days where we got to a little bit of a late start because we know somebody's running late and we weren't catching too much fish. And Lou likes to like slash and slam, you know, just one after another. And we're not catching fish. He keeps telling his captain, Hey, where's, call your buddies, play your buddies, find out where the fish are at. <laughs> and I'm calling the guy's like, Lou, the, the tides, whatever. And Lou, he's getting frustrated. And um, Lou goes, No, usually we catch a lot of fish. I said, Lou, man, we're having a great time. The water was beautiful. It was a flat, calm day. It was, sunny outside it wasn't too hot it was it was about 75 degrees and that alone to me was the best part of it catching fish is great but being on the water in a beautiful day like that is, is something you just can't get all the time yeah no doubt there's uh there's something to be said for taking it all in when you get out yeah. there um I, I i i did a tv show with uh dr guy harvey uh, several years back, and I, and we were in the middle of the craziest redfish bite maybe that I've ever seen. Uh, we probably caught a hundred redfish that day. I mean, we had a giant school in front of the boat, and they just stayed there, and we were catching them and catching them and catching them. I was putting a bait on for for guy to pitch out, and he stopped, and he was watching pelicans just fly across the mangroves that we were fishing near and it was it was it was interesting to me the way he just stopped and immediately said to me it's like wow look at how beautiful that is we get out there and we get so focused on catching fish and we get so focused on you know putting some fillets on the table or whatever it is that we really lose especially living here and getting to fish it often 
you know, I get to drive over to Skyway Bridge, Sunshine Skyway Bridge every day on my way to work. And you, yep. you end up taking it for granted that when you go know, over, yeah. get to the top of the Sunshine Skyway Bridge and you're looking at the mouth of Tampa Bay with Fort DeSoto and Anna Maria Island and, and all <laughs> the beauty that we have here, we see it every day and you start to forget just how yeah. beautiful it is and how lucky we are. No doubt. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I feel the same way. And I do appreciate it. You know, I, I think about it all the time because I play travel everywhere. I've been in New York City for many years playing baseball. And then when I come home in Tampa, the same thing. You see the bridges and the water uh, and, and the trees. It's just, it's, just, it's just so beautiful, this area alone. So I totally get it. Yeah, it's a special place. So um, what is your best, if, if, if you could pinpoint one fishing memory that you have? What would be your most memorable moment fishing? Um, I, I'm not going to say this because you're on the phone with me here, but <laughs> it would have to be the first tarpon I caught down in Boca Grande. Yeah. Oh, nice. That we, That's cool. That was probably that was my, probably my best experience. That was probably what four, or five, six years ago, maybe. I'm not sure. Five years ago. Yeah. I don't, yeah. It was a it was a while ago for sure. For yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah we did a, we did a, a cool Boca Grande with, uh, yep, yeah. with Joe Cellini and my brother and my brother-in-law. And um, yep. catching that first tarpon, man, I, I was just, I was amazed again, again, I, I, you know, we, I think I was the only one, I was the only one that hooked one that day or brought one in, but <laughs> right. that boat, but the boats around you, the boats around you that are hooked, they're all hooked up and the, and the, this huge tarpon just jumps right next to your boat, splashes in the water. So you got hooked. That scenery alone was like, wow, this is unbelievable. And <laughs> I enjoyed the whole experience completely. I'd never done that before. And that was the first time that it happened. I was like, that was one of my best experiences uh, fishing for sure. Oh, that's cool. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I, you know, I, I figured you, there's so many places that you've had the opportunity to fish. I wasn't sure that, uh, I no, do that remember that. Really that, cool. was, that was a fun day. Yeah. That was a really, that was a fun day. And and I tell people when people ask me about that, I, I tell people, I'm like, it worked out perfect because we weren't out there long. Tino had the first hookup, got his fish to the boat. And we had so many anglers on the boat that it was kind of everybody else was trying to catch one. So I just got to sit next to Tino the rest of the day, drive the boat and, and BS with Tino Martinez all day. And I, <laughs> to me, it was a great day. I'm like, how good is this? We're just talking baseball and stuff and having a good time on the boat with with uh, some good people. And, uh, you know, it was great. So uh, well, although I, I still – Again, no, my, I, was 40, I, I had to be 45 minutes to bring it in, and I was exhausted. <laughs> I don't want to catch another one. <laughs> yeah, catching big, tarpon, catching big tarpon in Boca Grande is a, uh, is a special thing. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Tino Martinez, I got to tell you, um, I, have, I have fished a, a ton of athletes, um, a ton of celebrities, if you will, um, and, and I, I get the question a lot. Um, about, you know, fishing with athletes and celebrities. And, and everybody asks me, you know, who is, who's one of the nicest, most down-to-earth athletes that you've ever met? And without hesitation, um, your name always comes out of my mouth because I, I have been impressed with you since the day that I met you. You, you, have just, you are just a down-to-earth guy for, for doing all of the incredible things that you've done on the field, um, all that great stuff. It, it doesn't seem to have changed you 
uh, one bit. Uh, we have some mutual friends, uh, Alan Granda and some other guys that knew you when you were younger, uh, and they've said you've always been the same way. So um, congratulations to you on, a, on an incredible career and uh, in, in being able to stay that uh, such a so approachable and so level-headed and such a great guy. Most of the athletes I meet are pretty are pretty good guys, but uh, I would say of all of them that I've met, you are you are one of the calmest, nicest uh, athletes that I've ever met, and it's really impressive. Yeah, Mike, I, I really appreciate that, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Oh, good, brother. Thanks so much for giving us a little bit of time today. Uh, hopefully we get on the other side of this virus and uh, you guys can get back to doing what you love to do and, and get back on the baseball field and coaching and taking care of business, my friend. Thanks so much for your time on the podcast. I appreciate you. Thank you, Michael. Thank you very much. I appreciate it as well. Wow. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Real Animals podcast, Tino Martinez. Uh, Like I said, to Tino, truly one of the nicest professional athletes that I've ever met. Most down-to-earth, just a really, really neat guy. I've met some others for sure, but um, Tino Martinez is probably the most like uh, the guy next door of any of them that I've ever met. Uh, Just a... Uh, you know who he is you know what he's accomplished you know how many great things he's done uh, but none of that comes across with Tino just one of the nicest people I've ever met so I certainly hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you remember the Real Animals podcasts are presented by Contender Boats they're available on Apple Podcasts Stitcher TuneIn Google Play and RITampaBay.com Com. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review. And if there's anybody out there you'd like to hear me do a podcast with, uh, you can bring me some of your ideas uh, on our social media outlets, Facebook slash Real Animals. You can reach me there or on the Instagram page at Real Animals TV. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you. This is an In the Trenches with Ian Beckles Quick Fix on Radio Influence. Sometimes I find myself disappointed and I probably shouldn't be. I read this story and at first I go, that's not true. I don't, that doesn't make any sense. And then when I saw a story on it today, I, I looked and I go, are we going backwards? I think we might be going backwards as far as race relations may be going in our country. We might be going back. No, we might. We are going backwards. The NFL is considering improving draft picks for teams that hire minority head coaches or GMs. You shitting me? In 2020, we're going to give somebody a bonus if you hire a black person? So you're giving a black person bonus. Does that sound right to you? As a black man, I want black people to be hired. Not like this. <laughs> Come on. So you're going to hire a black person because you get a draft pick? Is that what I want? How, what is that improving? How's that helping? So you get a present for hiring a black person? <laughs> Anyways, I guess they need 24 of 32 votes. God forbid that thing passes. That looks terrible to me, okay? It, it, it's just sad that you have to put it in a rule. And so many people deny that this is happening. And they're just admitting systematic racism. Are they not? Are they not? Somebody's admitting it or it's happening.
statistics don't, I mean, they can lie, but not when they're that glaring. I think it's sad, man. I think, I think it's a sad existence and I don't know what's going to come of it, but it doesn't look good for me. This one to me sounds dirty and disgusting, really. And I hope to hell this vote doesn't go through. In the Trenches with Ian Beckles can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.